Hello, 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 everyone. This is Hannah Cavanaugh speaking, and welcome to another amazing episode of T43. Um, I have two brand new guests on the show, both of which are amazing and do awesome student activism work, which, spoiler alert, we're going to be talking about today. So the first guest that I'm going to be introducing is a junior. She's a secretary at the Black Student Union at CUNY. Congratulations, by the way. And she's also heavily involved in um, the Hunter for Black Lives initiative, which covers so many things. But I'm just going to keep it brief for the intro. Uh, COVID outreach, criminal justice reform, and systemic racism within higher education. I would love to give a warm welcome to Diana Kennedy. How you doing, Diana? I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. No problem. Thanks for zooming and logging on and being here today. I'm excited. <laughs> All right. And so the next guest that I'm going to be introducing, also a junior, very heavily involved in the CUNY Young Democratic Socialist chapter, um, as well as the General New York City chapter. Um, also campaign coordinator, former field organizer, you name it. I would love to give a warm welcome to Alex Pelletieri. How you doing? I'm uh, happy to be here. Yeah, happy to have both of you on the show. This is awesome. All right. So are you guys ready to talk about some tea and sip some tea? Yes, definitely. All right. Usually I read it in kind of like a sensual way just for, uh, excuse my friend, shits and giggles. But you guys can read it any (laughs) way you want. Um, Yeah, but I'll give you guys the floor. Like who wants to go first? Um, so I have to confess okay. the tea that I have, like the box is not in English. Okay. So. No, it's fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> All good. I mean, it, yeah. Can you, can you translate it or no? It's in Japanese. Oh, okay. Um, <laughs> in that case. Um, yeah. So I, I guess you could just, what type of tea do you have then? It's just like green tea. It's nice. like really simple. Yeah. Nice. I, I stand for green tea. Amazing. And uh, yeah, Alex, wait, what, so what kind of, do you want to read the description on the box? Sure. So, All right, sounds good. Um, I have, um, I got an assortment of teas. It's like several in one box. Nice. Uh, it's chamomile, lemon zinger, peppermint, honey, vanilla chamomile, and sleepy time. I'm drinking peppermint. And mm-hmm. uh, the description is, with five flavors in one box, our herbal tea sampler has the perfect cup all day long. Wake up with a tangy zinger, trademark, blend, find afternoon comfort in chamomile or peppermint, and wind down with soothing sleepy time. Find rejuvenation and calm when you need them most. Wow. So, that, sounds, a good that sounds amazing. Man, I can't wait to see how it, how it ends up tasting and stuff. All right, so I... Um, I have a Wazowski tea. It's a Russian tea. Um, the, it's Imperial Earl Grey. Um, yeah, and I'm just going to read the description. All right. Perfecting tea blending for over 160 years. This is our classic take on a British legend. A noble blend of our superior quality black teas, perfectly infused with the light, balanced fragrance of alluring bergamot oil. All right. So, <laughs> cool. Um, do you guys want to take a collective sip? Yeah, so, okay. sure. All right. Ready? <laughs> One, two, three. Nice. 
All right. So how would you guys rank your teas and why the ranking? I guess my tea is like, I don't really know how to rank tea. They all taste the same to me, but (laughs) it's 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 pretty good. Yeah, it's pretty good. I feel like it's not that strong. So maybe like, like a seven or a six, maybe. Yeah. Fair enough. Yeah. Not every tea's a home run, but it'd be like that. All right. What about you, Alex? Uh, Yeah, mine is pretty good. I taste much more peppermint than I expected, which I like. Very soothing. That's good. Uh, Probably give it a seven or eight. Nice. Okay, dope. I'm kind of, I'm also leaning towards probably an eight for the black tea as well, though for different reasons. Um, I love, okay. I do love the flavor because it is primarily black tea. Like it, it does act as a strong foundation. I think it's a little, it's not floral enough for me. Like I really want to, I don't Yeah. Earl Grey is just a very floral fun tea. I want to really smell the bergamot, smell the flowers, but I'm not smelling it as much, but it's still really good. So I'm going to give it an eight. All right. So now that we sipped the tea, we are going to be spilling the deets on student activism in terms of how both of you guys got involved in activism, what keeps you going in that regard, and also like what you plan to do within the realm of activism in the future. Um, so I guess the first question that I have for both of you is, how did you get involved in activism itself? I guess I first became really interested in activist work when I was a freshman in college. So I wanted to become a part of Hunter's YDSA chapter, but instead I actually became a part of Hunter's Internationalist Club. Nice. Which was really interesting. I'm not a part of the club anymore because like I didn't agree with them on everything politically. Mm -hmm. Um, But it was like a great, I think like first step into thinking about things I guess, like Mm -hmm. outside of a capitalist like context, it was like my first real like exposure to real like Marxist theory. And it was like, I was a freshman, like I didn't know anything. Mm -hmm. And so like to go straight into that was really, I guess, radicalizing. I really loved it. Um, Yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. So yeah. Nice. I guess I'd have to go back to my freshman year of high school where I was uh, I was part of this program, which is a project of the Center for Port Innovation called the Youth Justice Board, which cool. um, like like uh, high school students in New York City focus on uh, what our topic was with repairing uh, re- relationship between young people and the police and how to like reform the police department. Wow. My politics on that issue have definitely changed a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um but yeah, so I did that the first few years of high school, and then I like interned for a couple elected officials and kind of was like in this like liberal Democrat world. And then Bernie ran for mm-hmm. president in 2016, which is a very radicalizing experience for me. And uh, from there, I found DSA. And then when I got to college, uh, I helped start the YDSA chapter, or restart the YDSA chapter at, at Hunter. Nice. That's awesome. Um, I was going to, we'll kind of touch upon how you guys kind of branched down to student activism, like more so in a bit, but I was going to ask, it seems like I noticed one of the through lines between your stories is that, cause you kind of addressed Alex that your views on, you know, in particular police reform changed, like after your involvement with the youth justice board and Diana, you were saying that, you know, you found that your, 
views didn't necessarily align with like the internationalist club is my am I, am I pronouncing that right the internationalist club yes okay yes. cool okay um <laughs> so i was gonna ask you guys so i mean because i'm sure you know accepting that your beliefs change and that people's you know that beliefs always change right it's like a constant ongoing life process but when you realize that what you've been advocating for in the beginning isn't necessarily what you advocate for now i'm sure that must be tough right like how do you guys go about that shift yeah i mean well let me start from why i broke like parted ways with the internationalist club mm-hmm. so one thing that i sort of never really Recon- like reconciled with them was that they don't believe in feminism mm. but the reason that they don't believe in feminism isn't for what you think okay. it's because they understand that equality can only be achieved through like advocating to like um like through activism along class lines not gender lines mm-hmm. which is something that they really drove home but I-, I also felt that like by them neglecting feminism they were neglecting a bunch of literature and work that had been done in feminism that was so mm-hmm. incredibly it, it was like a lot of it is rooted in communism and Marxism and is very like revolutionary. And I felt that they didn't really appreciate that as much. Right. Um, and I also, as I grew through activism, I realized that at first I was really sort of like a revolutionary type of person, like no type of reform or actually like result mm-hmm. in anything that we want, any end goal that we really want. And like now I'm sort of starting to understand that I can also have revolutionary politics while you know um supporting certain reforms that make things better for people now so it's not sort of like such a polarizing thing it's sort of like the marriage of reform and revolution Mm -hmm. if that makes sense and it like sort of makes me feel like I'm being a traitor to (laughs) my like freshman self that was like I'm a Trotskyist like this is (laughs) I'm not for reform I'm not a liberal and it's like coming to terms with that was really kind of hard for me for sure um but yeah no it seems like you can't it's hard to have one without the other right it's like the yin and yang because revolution usually brings about reform if you think about it but right yeah Yeah. so like we're we're advocating for the breakdown of the system eventually but while we're in the system we should make things better for people so Mm -hmm. reform is the route that we take but for sure right it's not the end-all be-all for sure so um alex so how did your because in terms of the youth justice board how when you realized before that you're so when did when did things not start to align for you in terms of like your beliefs in terms of what you were advocating for at the time? Uh, I mean, I think it was when Bernie Sanders ran. Oh, OK. President. Yeah. And like, I, I think before then I didn't have or I didn't see the problems with our existing capitalist system. Mm-hmm. And I also saw very like politics, very much like the Democrats are good and the Republicans are bad. Right. Um, and Bernie helped me realize that, like, not all Democrats are good. In fact, most are bad, equally mm-hmm. bad as the Republicans. And that it is the capitalist system that is ultimately the problem. And trying to, like, work within the system and make it better is, is not very effective. Mm-hmm. And then, like, yeah, once Bernie introduced me to, like, socialism, I started reading more and went further down that, that rabbit hole. Yeah, for sure. You know, I was going to ask in terms of activism, it, I've been a part of a few activist groups in the past in high school and in college. And I think the main thing that I've noticed, like the the challenge that people face is how to really 
get their message out there and how to advocate for what they want in a way that gets everyone on board with what you want to advocate for, right? So how do you guys approach those obstacles? Specific obstacles? <laughs> oh, no, it, it can be general. I mean, it's did you did you ever find that it was hard to kind of get the word out in terms of what you were advocating for or, or not really? Is that something that you've ever encountered? Um, yes, okay. for like a few reasons. So like, uh, as you know, like I released a letter um, to Hunter with a set of student demands. Yes, yeah. And so that at first was really hard to gain traction because I was like one person mm-hmm. and it, it, it it's more impactful when you do something with a collective voice when you're part of some organization that's already established and they already have like legitimacy and like all this stuff. So I sort of had to form that as I went along and make different connections with people in different organizations like Free CUNY Mm -hmm. and like the CUNY YBSU that I'm a part of right now. And like another working group that I'm a part of called CUNY for Abolition and Safety. So it was like understanding that activism is really effective when it's a group of people doing it like you can't be an individual advocating for something Mm -hmm. it's just like yeah it's just so much harder (laughs) that way no for sure yeah um but yeah Alex did you ever encounter any did you ever have similar obstacles in terms of trying to formulate like um an activist coalition or anything like that or an initiative yeah uh I think like organizing at CUNY comes with its own challenges yeah uh CUNY is very much a working class institution, so a lot of students are taking multiple classes, are working full time, have like their own children or parents to, to care for. So you know, we'd be tabling for YDSA and someone would like seem really interested, agree with everything we say, but then we're like, well, would you want to come to a meeting? And they're like, I can't because I work like 60 hours a week. Wow. Um, yeah. So just like, and also the ones who are part of YDSA often also are like, working or have other responsibilities so i think it's just very much uh evidence of the fact how capitalism is designed where you know the the working class the most oppressed people have the least amount of time to to fight the system that's oppressing them yeah it's interesting that you brought that up because i did notice that i'll i'll explain the statement in a second but i i really think that one positive thing that COVID has brought about is that it's given people time to really focus more on activism, to immerse themselves in it more, especially because there was a period of time where no one was really working. And if they were, they were working remotely. And so I think that it does, it definitely touches upon what you said in terms of, you know, a lot of people that do that are part of the working class don't really have the time to advocate for issues that they're interested in. But I was that they want to advocate for rather but this actually segues into uh something that i did want i actually did want to touch upon with you guys um you know ever since covid hit and george floyd was heinously murdered by police activism in terms of the black lives matter movement but it also in terms of marxist theory has gained a lot of traction but there's some people that think it's for show that to be trendy there's some people that think oh these people are genuinely interested in wanting to bring about change what do you guys think about that um i think that like what is the word for it it's um there's a word for like this sort of activism that just for show just on social media it's like performative that's what it Mm -hmm. is so i think that that is definitely a huge part of online activism in general like it's great to look 
like you're supporting certain movements because it's popular. Mm -hmm. Um, I think where like that sort of starts to break down is when you ask someone to really understand the topics that they're reposting about. So like, it's one thing to have someone say like, fuck capitalism, which yes, Mm-hmm. All right, can I curse on this? Yes, of course okay. you can. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Like <laughs> Nothing censored on this show. Yeah. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. yeah, so it's one thing to have someone say, like, fuck capitalism, which I agree with. Mm-hmm. But then you also have to ask that person, like, how are you sort of advocating for consumerism? Like, how, how are you, like, sort of implicating yourself in certain things that are problematic? Like, so it, it's like it takes a lot of like self-awareness and self-reflection to see like who's really a performative activist and who's not. Mm -hmm. Um, I also think like it takes a lot of more effort to like educate yourself and to read about things than it does to just repost something, Mm -hmm. which is why like when people just take advantage of movements like this and they post a lot at like the peak of the movement, then they stop posting after like a few months. So you can sort of tell like who cares and who doesn't, Mm -hmm. you know? Um, But yeah. For sure. I mean, I, I think we're, we're beginning to see terms like Black Lives Matter, defund the police, uh, like become like part of people's vocabulary, which is great. But like, yeah, like as Deanna said, I think that there are also a lot of people who are into it for performing, uh, mm-hmm. very performative. So like the question has to be asked, like if you do support, like what does Black Lives Matter concretely mean? What does being anti-racist concretely mean? Like if, if you're just posting on Facebook about it, that's one thing, but at least, like, to me, supporting Black Lives means, like, yes, we have to deal with the issues of police, but we also have to talk about how Black people and people of color are affected by inequalities in healthcare and housing mm-hmm. and education and, like, basically any social issue you can think of. Um, so if you are, like, you know, I support Black Lives Matter, but I don't support universal healthcare or free college, I think that's, like, a pretty problematic uh no for sure i mean i yeah i definitely agree with what both of you guys are saying um in terms of the performative activism i i actually when we were in middle school together he was he could be uber racist he would say oh say ernig backwards and then he would share posts about like black people eating watermelon like super blatantly offensive like no, no territory kind of stuff, right? But when the Black Lives Matter movement gained traction in June, I saw all of a sudden he was posting Black Lives Matter content. And sure, someone could argue that maybe he changed. But at the same time, the stance seems so sharp that I'm like, wait, hold on. So I've definitely seen instances of that. But you also kind of brought up a really good point, Alex, about the intersectionality of a lot of you know, the inherent issues that are embedded in America. And I noticed that there's, you know, there's some, there's a lot of people that dabble in activism, but that are only kind of focused on one particular issue. And I was wondering if you guys ever, if you ever looked at activism from that perspective from the past, and if your stance on that has changed now. Um, yeah. I think when people are engaging in activism, their, their question, the question should be asked, like, what is your overall goal for Mm-hmm. Not just like this particular issue, but like what type of society do you want to live in? And I think, at least for me, it's the socialist society. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, you know, how do you achieve that? And I think those are the things that should be informing what you do. And like definitely advocating for working class men or working class candidates are 
a way to get there. But I, I think like it, it's it's a mistake to focus on on one issue without understanding how it connects to, to other things or, or how it connects to like a larger strategy. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also really agree with that, like the concept of intersectionality and understanding how you can't just advocate for anti-racism. I mean, you can just advocate for anti-racism, but mm-hmm. you have to understand how that's also implicated in capitalism and stuff like that. And people, I guess, sometimes when they approach activism, they approach it from one single issue. And so it creates sort of like an echo chamber where like they don't see how it's connected to other issues that we're experiencing. And so I feel like that's not really an effective way to like get into sort of this work, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, which is why like (laughs) brings me back to why I'm such like a feminist because Mm -hmm. of the concept of intersectionality and just like the legacy that that has and how it continues to inform how we approach different issues now. No, for sure. Yeah, I think you guys brought up really good points in terms of that. I I definitely agree with that for sure. Um, but I was I was actually going to ask you guys, what do you think are the common misconceptions associated with what you guys are advocating for? From like in terms of, you know, e- yeah, everything because we can touch upon everything because it's all intertwined like we said. Mm, I'm like trying to see how like I can approach this concept of like the misconceptions. I guess one that I really come across a lot is like, (laughs) so I'm like a very anti-capitalist person. Mm -hmm. Um, And so one misconception that a lot of people bring to my attention or try to bring to my attention, I don't know, when I talk to them about why the system that we're working in is actually, it it, it runs on inequality and it runs on chaos. People also try to tell me, well, then why do you have a job? Why do you try to make money if you're against capitalism? And it's like, okay, but I have to survive under yeah, capitalism. I expect but I'm you also to... try, like, <laughs> yeah. So oh I think, <laughs> I think <laughs> people need to understand when you say that you're an anti-capitalist or that you're pro-socialism, you're not saying that, you know, you're like trying to prevent people from making money or from surviving. You're just trying to establish a system in the future where people don't have to kill themselves to live. Yeah, know? no, um, for sure. So, yeah. Fair point. Yeah. yeah. I've, like, definitely heard a lot. Of, I agree a lot with what, what, what Leanna said about, yeah, how people, like, don't, I don't think they understand that it's a process and we're not just, like, you know, we can't act as if we don't live under capitalism and just, like, pretend it doesn't exist. Uh, but something I've seen at CUNY, which I think is actually kind of sad, is how a lot of students, I don't think they realize the power that they have. Mm-hmm. Uh, don't realize that they have the ability to change things and they kind of like they recognize the flaws in the CUNY system or the capitalist system and they're just like yeah well you know it sucks but what you're gonna do and they don't realize how I think actually with like very little organizing and if they come together they can actually make a lot of change and actually scare the administration there's you know thousands of CUNY students who who have their interests aligned and that that is like really the most powerful that we have and I, I feel like that's not utilized I definitely agree I mean I've I remember we talked about this earlier I don't know if you were here for it or not Diana but I we were talking like we talked about how um student activism is really at the forefront of a lot of you know pol- socio-political movements if you think about it I mean you know we had there was March for our lives in 2018 organized 
yeah, by people our age when we were in high school. And it's, I, I think about instances like that and the climate strike and just kind of how a lot of people our age have really been at the forefront of, you know, the Black Lives Matter movement this year. And I just find it all so inspiring and amazing. It's great. It's insane, the power that we have. And like you said, Alex, a lot of us just don't even know it. Um, but is there ever, I was going to ask you, is there, did you guys ever have any instances where you had doubts about what you advocate for? And if so, like, how did you address those within yourself? Um, I guess certain doubts that I had within myself concerning, well, one of the issues that I really like talking about is, uh, Hunter's budget specifically and when they spend on certain things and Mm -hmm. when they could be spending on other things. And so as I was like going through different documents, I realized that like, for example, Hunter's public safety budget is like for the fiscal year of 2019 was like over 6 million, um, which is like very interesting how much they reinforce that certain department. But then as I was like breaking it down, I, I, at first I was advocating for divesting from it to invest in other things. And then I realized also that by advocating for that, I'm advocating for divesting from people's salaries that work Mm. in the public safety department, which also goes against my beliefs of supporting the working class because not everyone on the public safety department is like considered um, like an officer, you know? Mm -hmm. So it's, it, it was like very interesting to see how everything is not cut and dry. And I think that that's sort of hard to understand sometimes. And it takes like a really, you have to look at things and like appreciate all the nuances in order to really make a statement about it. Sure. Um, Yeah. So yeah. 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 I mean, it it is definitely tough to kind of go about that for sure. I told, yeah. I mean, Alex, did you ever have any like similar obstacles that you encountered like through your activist journey? I'm trying to think. Yeah, I mean, I, I think just sometimes it can be, like, capitalism is so ingrained in our society where, mm-hmm. where I think sometimes it can feel almost impossible for this to ever cease to exist. Yeah. And I think, you know, like, the left is kind of winning now, you could say. Like it's very popular, people are coming to the left, mm-hmm. but I think there were also a lot of losses before then so yeah like there's definitely been times when I felt discouraged or felt like you know maybe we can't do this but mm-hmm. I think you have to remember that like you know we live not too long ago you know in our people who are alive today remember when like black people couldn't vote you know yeah. it was or when you know there was like less than a hundred years ago when like the before child labor laws were passed or when like, you know, union members were like fighting police. So, I mean, I think there, there have been really drastic changes not that long ago. So always, I always try to remind myself of that. Yeah, for sure. It, it is crazy though, how much changes come about in the last hundred years. It is. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I also, I wanted to, I was going to ask you guys as well what pushes you to kind of keep going in your work? Cause I, I'm sure, you know, I, I, there's instances where there's people that dabble in it for a time and then it's too much and then they have to like take a step back. But what really pushes you guys to keep going with this work that you've been doing? I think one thing that really pushes me is like, like the groups of people that I work with. 
So it's really great to develop sort of a network and a support mm-hmm. system. So when things do seem overwhelming or too much, you know, you have someone there who has a similar goal to you that could help you out. Right. Um, which is why, like, I go back to always saying how the collective voice is so powerful and why I'm so grateful that, like, I have a network of students at CUNY who, like, share similar goals. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah, just having support systems really keeps me going, which is why I also think that as a freshman, I didn't really stay in activism as long as I maybe could have Mm -hmm. because I didn't feel like I had a sort of support system in place to like basically like preserve myself you know because it's so easy to burn out especially in this kind of work for sure yeah I definitely agree a lot with Diana Finn I think when you do become like a student activist you become part of a community of people and you develop like you develop comrades which I think is is like definitely something different than friends where they're, they're your friends, but you also have this like deep connection, this deep common goal that I think really unites people. So organizing alongside people um, and yeah, you know, knowing that like, if I need to take a step back, there will be other people who can, you know, take my place has been helpful for me. For sure. I was actually out of curiosity. So how did you, how did you, cause Diana, you mentioned you, well, both of you guys in a certain way did mention like how important it is to have a group of activists around you so you can like corral and do the work together and how that kind of brings about the most change. But how, cause you know, I think their individualism is very much a common part of American culture in terms of, I need to do everything on my own. And if I ask for help, then I'm a failure, which is really stupid, right? We can, all three of us can acknowledge how dumb that sounds, but it, it's still ever present. But did you feel like you guys kind of grappled with that as, you know, you kind of corralled and gathered like a collective voice? I think it's interesting that you bring up like the issue of how American culture is so like focused on individualism because I actually feel like I didn't so much have that mentality going into this. That's yeah, that's good. Yeah, because of mm-hmm. my mother's background, she's Latina, and so we're very much so family oriented and group oriented. Nice. So I yeah. sort of yeah always understood that it's important to be a part of a larger group of people when you're trying to do something. Um, and like I always am sort of wary of people that make their activism about themselves. Do you know what I mean? Like they're the one person and their name has to be on everything type of thing. Yeah. Which is why like, yeah, like I, I more um, gravitate towards people that work within a group setting instead of just their own individual goals, you know? I mean, yeah, fair. That's totally understandable because at the end of the day, it's, it's not really about the P it's about the issue. So, I mean, I totally get what you're saying. That makes, yeah. My mom both side of the family is um like definitely much different and much there's much more of an emphasis on family and helping people than the rest of American culture but like I think capitalism affects all of us like even if you're like an anti-capitalist you're still going to be affected by it and I think it's like you know it's recognized I I think it's important for our own mental health to recognize how capital like capitalism really ingrained certain thoughts in us. This is the way things should be. And if we deviate from that, we might start to feel bad about ourselves, but it's like, you know, it's not you, it's capitalism. 
No, for sure. Yeah, it's a lot of... That's what I've been finding as well, because um, this is a slight tangent, but I'll bring it back to the topic, I promise. But um, I took a sewing course over the summer um, in which I learned how to make a jumpsuit, but I also learned about labor unions and Marxist theory. And it was the stuff, because I, you know, I read about, um, you know, commodity fetishism. And I also read this really interesting piece called um, Western Woman's Harem, which talks about... um, kind of but yeah which kind of touches upon uh, the sexism that's still apparent in american culture but i just found and i love how it tapped on intersectionality but i also loved how it completely changed my view of what marxism is um because there's so many common misconceptions about you know all these issues that we're talking about today so i also yeah there's a lot of like unlearning that needs to be done in terms of like the capitalist framework that's been set up and how we feel about it but that aside um i actually wanted to touch upon the work that both of you have been particularly doing within cuny which i found i find amazing um but i was gonna ask you guys was there a specific moment where you felt like there was a need for this level of activist work at cuny and if so like how did you come to that conclusion um well i can start like I guess, talking about how I first felt like this was really necessary. So mm-hmm. the way that I approached some of these issues, some of these CUNY issues was first through like a hunter lens. So like, I don't like you guys probably know, like Jennifer Rabb and like, yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yep. So I sort of, oh I sort of at first was just really annoyed with the fact that CUNY sort of parades itself as like the super diverse institution and like it is the school of the working class but it doesn't necessarily support working class students the way that it should it doesn't support like BIPOC students the way that it should even though like we're like our faces are used to like advertise the school right mm-hmm. um and so that sort of just really inspired me to research more about our institution, Hunter specifically, and about the history that we have with, for example, like policing or like how our institution supports prison labor Um, and just a bunch of other like problematic things that our system is like implicated in. And so that sort of inspired me to like reach out to people who I felt would feel similarly and then sort of like compose sort of a document that just like talks about different issues and the demands that we want administration to fulfill in order to sort of approach these issues in a more beneficial way. Cause I also feel that it's really easy for admin to like create a zoom meeting about anti-racism and then not change any policies that are racist. Yeah. Um, it's about talking so, the talk and walking yeah. the walk. You got to do both, but yeah, exactly. No, sure. Yeah. Yeah. I was going to ask you, so, oh yeah, no, Alex, we got to hear from you about this. So yeah. how, how did you, yeah, what moment kind of led you to start activism work specifically at CUNY? I mean, I think I very much view the working class as the vehicle for change. Mm-hmm. And I think change is going to come through the working class. And like, you know, realizing that CUNY is like the epitome of a working class. Yeah, it's like the definition of a working class and seeing how I think there was a lot of untapped potential at CUNY, how there were a lot of people who are oppressed, not only by like a broken CUNY system, but by a broken capitalist system. Mm -hmm. And like, I think, you know, organizing people at CUNY is is really, like, I think a key aspect 
for change. Like unless CUNY students is on board, are, are on board, there's not going to be change in, in New York City. For sure. No, yeah, because I mean, like you said, yeah, Clu CUNY does embody the working class. Um, is there any specific ex examples that you guys can think of in which CUNY has kind of turned their backs on the working class? Um, I'll say for one, the continuous tuition hikes and mm -hmm. how like we should have free tuition, but we don't. And just like the fact that CUNY continues to increase the amount that we have to pay each year, knowing that we're a working class institution is just, it's really disgusting. And it's sure. like one thing that I've just always, it's always made me so angry. And just like the effort that CUNY puts in to like, repressing student protests especially when they talk about advocating for free tuition it's just mm -hmm. ridiculous and how like instead of providing free tuition CUNY will instead advocate for like oh like scholarships so instead of having everyone have free tuition it's sort of based on a on a who deserves it more basis which yeah like, which is pretty I really up. hate yeah I actually um uh just to kind of piggyback off what you said just for a split second and then i actually looked at um a bar graph comparing the ethnic makeup of cuny compared to macaulay and it's pretty wild the disparity there i mean i think from what i yeah from what i gathered i mean there's definitely much more white people in macaulay than people of color even though cuny in and of itself is primarily people of color so i also find that really interesting that a lot of the people that really you know that really need their like need the scholarship or that need the tuition prices to be cut are not getting those resources so that's pretty effed up i gotta say um alex so what were you i was gonna i was gonna ask you as well um or if there's any specific examples that you've noticed at cuny that of you know in terms of the impression of the working class i think a big way cuny has turned their back on the working class is mm -hmm. the way they treat adjunct Yes. Um, yes. Like, mm -hmm. up, up until yeah, up yeah. until recently, they got paid thirty five hundred per course, which is poverty wages. Mm -hmm. The last contract gave them fifty five hundred, which was much less than the demand, the seven k. And even now, CUNY adjuncts are likely going to be paid very late because essentially CUNY couldn't get their shit together, and they don't have the money in their bank account God, to pay awful. CUNY adjuncts. And it's kind of crazy to me how. You know, Jennifer Rabb gets paid more than half a million dollars to run CUNY, which is, you know, the president of the United States makes like $400,000. Yeah, that's She gets paid crazy. more to run Hunter College than the president <laughs> gets paid to run America, which is like That's insane. crazy. <laughs> and she does not, wow. yeah, it's like you don't need this, she does not need this amount of money. That's and insane, yeah. I think it's just like they say, you know, college is an investment. You're investing in your education, but they're not investing in our education. Because no. I think if they truly cared about educating working class students, why are you paying our adjunct no money? It's like, what is that? That says a lot about, I think, how much they really care about, like, working class people and working class students. Yeah, I was For actually sure. going to say something about, like, the issue with how CUNY basically exploits its adjuncts. And I know that at Hunter, instead of like creating more, for example, adjunct to full-time conversion lines, they'll just like hire a bunch of adjuncts and then pay them basically nothing yeah. so that they can say that like the department is fully staffed or whatever. 
And it's like, I've had professors in the past who have worked multiple jobs on top of being an adjunct professor just to make ends meet. Mm-hmm. And then it's like, they shouldn't have to do that. Like they should be paid for all of their time. Like they're not paid for preparing lessons. They're not paid for grading papers. They're only paid for the time that they spend in the classroom, which like is so ridiculous to me. Yeah. And it doesn't incentivize people to teach the working class. It doesn't incentivize people to work at It's like, why are they going to let themselves be exploited by their system? Why are they going to like have this job where like they can't even make decent money, you know? So. No, it's super effed up for sure. I mean, I, it's, I actually had a, um, so I have a, I'm taking a film production class and my professor's an adjunct and not only does he teach that course and he also sometimes teaches med p150 he's also a a jujitsu instructor and he does freelance but he has to work multiple jobs to pay the rent and it's just like you said like both of you said it it shouldn't have to be this way um with the activism that you guys are doing what kind of future do and I, i think it's kind of implied through the answers but what future do do you want to build or help build rather you know, for CUNY so that other students and adjuncts don't have to go through the same thing? Like, what kind of policies do you hope are going to be implemented at some point? Well, I really hope that CUNY really pays heed to the work that the PSC is doing, Mm -hmm. um, the Professional Staff Congress, because they're currently advocating for, like, a new deal for CUNY, which is basically the bottom line is we need more funds. Um, We need to support our adjunct professors. Mm -hmm. We need to ensure that our faculty and staff are safe and like have like well-being on campus and everything like that. And I feel that if CUNY listens to both the student voice and to the faculty voice, a lot of positive change, like positive change can happen in the future. But I think that a big issue is that they just ignore us a lot of the time. And it takes a huge movement of people, like a collective voice, like I keep saying, to really pressure them to do something about it, Um, which is why, like, I always try to talk to as many people as I can about these issues. Like, I am close with some faculty members in the PSC. And, like, while I talk about student issues, I always try to bring into the conversation faculty issues as well and how they're really intertwined with student issues, because I think... A lot of the time it can be sort of divisive when people say, oh, I only care about student issues. I don't care about faculty, which is ridiculous to me. Yeah, like I've literally yeah. had an administrator say that to me. Like they were like, I, when I asked for, okay, so this is like, oh, I'm going to say the name of the person, Okay. but I brought up the issue. Yeah. I brought up the issue of how we need more adjunct to full-time conversion lines. Right. And we need more um, full-time faculty of color at mm-hmm. Hunter. Yes, and she do. basically told me, she was like, you're a student, advocate for student issues. Let the faculty advocate for their issues. And I just looked at her and I was like, okay, clearly not an ally. Clearly Oy. not someone <laughs> I can nice. talk to. How did but, you respond yeah. to that? That's wild. So I literally just looked at her through Zoom and I was sort of at a loss oh, for man. words. Like I didn't know what to say to her because- sure. I felt sort of betrayed almost. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, in hindsight, I should have been like student issues and faculty issues are one and the same. Like you can't advocate for one without advocating for the other. For sure. Well, it's good that you told her off. I mean, that's, I mean, in, in, in the, pol- and probably in a polite way, cause it's an administrator, but it's cool that you 
that even though you're initially at a loss for words, you still kind of voiced what your opinion was anyway and stuck to your guns. Um, so, I, I mean, Alex, like, what do you, like, in terms of, yeah, what, what policies do you hope can be implemented, like, within the CUNY system? Like, for the future? It does not surprise me that the administration said that. Yeah. Like, I have a feeling I think I know who it is. Maybe I can ask you after. But, uh, <laughs> um, I mean, yeah. yeah. I, I think, obviously, like, free tuition, full funding for adjunct. But also, I think that CUNY is an institution that should be run by the students. And that there's just like top-down bureaucracy where most students don't vote in student government elections. I don't even think I vote in student government elections. Oh. Like, not, <laughs> so, I mean, I don't know. Maybe that's like not a good thing. Yeah. But like, it's just like, I don't know what they do. And like, um, on the board of trustees has like former Congress members, has like influential people in New York City. They have one student. Mm-hmm. And that student is not even elected by like the general population elected by like like i think like the students serving on the university student senate so like Mm -hmm. having a um like where students are actively part of the decision making at hunter i think it's something that we should move towards and also like why can't students elect the president of hunter college like why can't Mm -hmm. that be something that instead of the uh the governor just like appointing someone as a political favor which is how jennifer rab got appointed um why, like, why can't students have any say in this? And, like, why, like, had I not been involved in student activism, I would have never met Jennifer Rabb and probably not know who she is. Like, I think the student yeah. president should, like, have to teach at least one class. Like, there was just this, like, deep separation, I think, between, um, like, democracy at, at CUNY and then students. So having a... Uh, a CUNY system where like students are actively involved in this democracy and actively involved in the, in the decision making is, is definitely something that we should look forward to. No, that's a that's a really good point. I mean, I think, you know, just in civic engagement and even like in terms of the college level is extremely important. I mean, you want the president's values to ring true to your values as a student, right? Because she's repping the school. So if she's not, if she's not repping what we inherently stand for. I mean, that's a no-go. Um, but I was actually, I was going to answer your question about student government because I'm actually a student senator at, at USG. I'm part of the student government. Um, and primarily what we focus on is clubs in terms of allocating the budget for clubs. But honestly, I feel like one thing that, like you, like you also touched upon that's also important to mention, one thing that could also be done, like, you know, is increasing the level of engagement that students can have with you know, in terms of student government, because there is that separation. I mean, the fact that we're these officials, but all we can do is like allocate club budgets and it's hard to like get other people involved. Like, that's not good. You know, like, how can we make it so that it's more, it's a little bit more Democrat? I don't know. That's a tough one, though. That is a really tough one. It's hard to say. Um, How can students get more involved in activism at CUNY? Because I'm kind of in the band camp of students that really want to get involved and do their best to be a part of, you know, the free CUNY movement and all, all of these movements that are happening within, you know, the student body, that's, a, you know, very important, but it's hard to know how to get involved, right? So how would you suggest that more students like get involved in activism at CUNY? I think it can be like really hard to sort of push someone to like dedicate a lot of their time because a lot of people do have to support their families mm-hmm. and have to work like at jobs and they have to do a lot of different things that makes their free time like 
much less than someone that is like supported by their parents, for example, right? right? But I also think that it's important to just sort of state that like, if you want to be involved in activism, it doesn't have to be like a 24 seven thing. You can just like open like a lifeline with someone that's in a group like the YDSA or like Free CUNY and keep like that, that line of communication open so that maybe you don't have free time today, but maybe in the future, if you do, you can quickly go to a meeting or you can support them on some like initiative that they're doing. So I think like having students understand, because I think what scares a lot of people away from activism is they think that it's like a full-time job and they're going to have to like do it all the time. Yeah. But I think that making it so people understand that they can do it and they can support it and not have to dedicate all their time to it is like something that people need to know, you know? For sure. Yeah. I mean, I'm going to plug join YDSA. No, um, it's gonna, yeah. <laughs> no, I definitely will. Yeah. yeah, that's definitely. Or like, you know, there's other many other uh, activist groups at Hunter. But I mean, I guess the biggest thing is like, don't be afraid to talk to your fellow students. Mm-hmm. Don't be afraid to talk to your like adjunct professor. Because uh, you know, I and we like we, we've talked about this a lot. But like, unless we really build like a student and adjunct movement at CUNY, mm-hmm. nothing's. Yeah, I mean, that's a really good point. I just want to acknowledge that. I, I've been agreeing with everything that you guys have said so far. You just hit the nail on the head every time. It's awesome. Uh, but I was going to ask as well, I mean, how do you think activism has informed your experience as a CUNY student? Like, how do you feel like your experience would have been different if you hadn't gotten involved in this way? Hmm. I think one thing that it's really illuminated for me is that a lot of the, like, bureaucratic processes that are in place are sort of intentional so Mm -hmm. that change isn't achieved so swiftly which is something that like I I noticed for example with student government how here is an opportunity for students to have a voice in their school but because of certain policies or this and that like their voice is limited and they're sort of treated like an offshoot of administration instead of their own entity Mm -hmm. which I feel like is super intentional and sort of is used thwart a lot of, I guess, potential change uh, through that avenue, which is why, like, I understand with what I, like, totally agree with what Alex said about how CUNY should be run by the students and it shouldn't yes. be just delegated to certain positions to do this or that because that's, like, how a lot of change is slowed down. For sure. Yeah. It's, like, hard to imagine me just being a hunter student and not, like, involved in activism in, in some way. Um, I mean, yeah, I think like similar to what Diana said, I, I kind of see things in a different light and like, yeah, it's just clear that like the problems at Hunter are not just random, they're like very intentional, but I think it also gives me a sense of hope that was not something that we just have to deal with. I feel like every comment I make is just like, yes, preach sis. Um, no, but it's true. I mean, honestly, we students should be able to get more involved in CUNY because this is yeah I think it's super duper important it's also interesting to kind of look at things from a different perspective and kind of realize the inner workings of bureaucracy through the activist work so that's also um yeah I think learning how systems work from the inside is really important I don't have direct experience with that in terms of activism more so in terms of politics but in order to enact change in some way you kind of have to know how the system of bureaucracy works specifically at CUNY in this case, but in a lot of other cases as well. Um, But I was going to ask you guys, 
you probably know this as well, Diana. I'm, I'm majoring in media studies with a concentration in journalism, and I'm hoping to kind of utilize what I do within that major to kind of, you know, help incite change in some way. But I was wondering how you guys plan on, if you, if you do plan on it, you know, you could keep your work separate from the activism, but do you plan on maybe integrating what you do in terms of a career path in your life with the activism? And if so, like, how do you hope to achieve that? So, yes, I definitely plan to include, you know, activism within my career in the future. Um, I really want to follow the pre-law track and eventually go to law school. Um, I'm sort of like on the fence of whether I want to work for like a nonprofit or work for like a government job, because I also feel like I have an aversion to like very like bureaucratic things. So that's sort of really draws me away from working as like like a lawyer in like some sort of government office right um but like I'm really interested in immigration law and really interested in supporting um like immigrant communities Mm -hmm. um because I feel like as undocumented people like they're exposed to so many different kinds of abuses and because they're not recognized by the state or whatever bullshit they are not they don't have the ability to sort of fight back against exploitation, and which is they... something that really infuriates me. Yeah. yeah. So like, I really want to work with like immigrant communities and like specifically working class immigrant communities. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that. I think, yeah, I mean, it's tough for undocumented immigrants, like you said, because if, you know, if they were to voice their opinion about these injustices, it's like risking their livelihood. So that's a very yeah. difficult position to be in, but it's great that that's what you're geared towards. It's super awesome. But yeah, Alex, what about you? Because your major is history, right? I mean, how do you yeah. want to implement that into what you've been doing with um, YDS? Uh, yeah, I mean, I, I've thought about law school too. Mm-hmm. I don't, I have no idea what I want to do, to be honest. Same. Uh, I know I <laughs> yeah. yeah. Um, I mean, we have time. I, I, I know I definitely do want to work in politics, system mm-hmm. capacity but uh i still need to figure out what specifically not fair i mean it's it's tough i kind of because i've been kind of veering more so towards politics as well and it is a tough thing because i you know diana like you were saying you're talking about you know how bureaucracy is in a way ineffective to getting certain things done but then it seems like in order to sometimes it seems like in order to get things done you kind of have to immerse yourself in that realm in order to incite change from the inside so it's it's a tough dichotomy for sure um that's i don't know how how you guys feel about that but i don't know is that leaves you on the fence in terms of like politics alex is that thing yeah i I think if you're it's it's very hard to take a job without i think in some way uh like that conflicting your your values or something you, you don't want to, to deal with, like the bureaucracy. Um, I think also, like, a lot of political work is, like, whether it be unionizing or political campaign work, uh, campaign work, like, they're often underpaid and overworked. It's really hard to really, like, make a, a decent living doing that. For sure. It seems like, it seems like kind of pursuing activism as a career and this could be intentional, like we were kind of hinting at before, how a lot of this stuff is intentional. But it does seem intentional that a lot of um, jobs pertaining to activism and advocacy tend to 
you know, lead people to be overworked and underpaid. So I guess it just, yeah. I mean, that's capitalism for you. It... <laughs> yep. Oh my God. Um, <laughs> and yeah, I mean, just before we wrap up, um, I actually want to give both of you the floor to kind of plug whatever um, activist work that you've got has been working on, whether it be drafting petitions, um, jumpstarting initiatives. So I actually want to give both of you the floor to kind of plug what you guys have been working on, because I'm also interested to hear, and I'm sure the listeners are interested to hear as well. So, yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, so first I'd like to plug the open letter to Hunter, which can be found at my Instagram, which is at Diana Michaela underscore underscore, which just sort of has a list of student demands that basically focus on uplifting and affirming BIPOC uh, student and faculty life at Hunter. Um, I also like to highlight the work that's been happening across CUNY and SUNY uh, mm -hmm. to divest from Corecraft, which is the prison labor manufacturer that CUNY and SUNY schools and a lot of other state institutions buy a lot of furniture from. Wow. Um, and so, yeah, so like yeah. a lot of campuses I know, Queens College, Brooklyn, and also like Stony Brook and a lot of others, which mm -hmm. I can't think of right now, have drafted emails and also Hunter have drafted, drafted emails to pressure administration to sort of like divest from this manufacturer. We're also working on, uh, I'm working on an op-ed with someone about this issue. Nice. And also, Will yeah. Will that be on and, the like, Envoy? -wide email. Uh, actually, we're looking to, like, publish it at, like, um, maybe, like, the Gotham Gazette or, like, something That's like that. That's amazing. Like, okay. Yeah. 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 So, so yeah. I love um, the Gotham Gazette. And there's also another op-ed that's in the works about policing at CUNY um, and its history, specifically, like, Brooklyn College, because, like, I know their relationship with the police is really bad, but also like just CUNY more broadly. Mm -hmm. But yeah. Nice. That's amazing. Okay. I'll make sure. Cause I'm actually going to tag both of you in a T for three post anyway. So I'll probably be repping your stuff on there as well. Um, yeah. But Alex, tell us what have you been working on? Like in terms of your activist work? Uh, YGSA has been focusing on adjunct solidarity, mm -hmm. uh, the day before a class was start, we held a rally at the grad center uh, demanding that like the adjuncts that were fired through the budget cuts or had their classes cut were rehired. So um, yeah, going forward, we're going to be working with Rafa, the uh, rank and file uh, adjunct action, anything like that is, uh, which is like a caucus with PSB. Um, and yeah, we're going to be like talking to our adjunct, adjunct professors and seeing how we can build more solidarity between students and adjuncts and ultimately fight uh, for a better community through that. Nice. And so, um, what's the, how can people reach the YDSA? Like what are the social media handles for that? Yeah. So we have, um, uh, meetings every Thursday at okay. six thirty, and you can find us on Twitter or Instagram at Hunter underscore YDSA. If you want to like send us a DM or something, we'll definitely get you plugged in. Nice. Awesome. And, um, I guess I'll, I'll wrap it up, but do you guys have any other final thoughts before we wrap up or anything that you feel like we have, that you want to cover that you feel like we haven't covered yet? There is one more Instagram that I wanted to bring to everyone's attention. That's the black at CUNY nice. Instagram that I run with, with a friend of mine. So yeah, check that out. <laughs> black at CUNY. Yeah. All right. Nice. Diana, Alex, thank you so much for being on the show. It was so awesome having both of you on board. And I feel like I learned so much. This was amazing. So 
And it's awesome to hear all the stuff that you've been doing. Yeah. And this is Tea for Three, where we sip the tea and spill the deets. Thanks for listening. (laughs) Bye, y'all.